Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Zero Lift. You're joined by myself, Ryan. I'm here with Lenny. I'm still on my I Miss Japan kick. I'm drinking sake and Orion beer. Ooh, good choices, John. If you know, you know. What are you drinking? Who, me? Yeah, you. Um, I got some cognac right here. So I'm in my house in Alabama and basically just throwing away half my stuff, putting my stuff in storage and getting it ready to rent when I go to Saudi Arabia. So I'm like living super bachelor life this week. So the same as usual. <laughs> well, like, you know, like so. mattress, mattress on the floor, no real furniture, just me alone in this house watching porn kind of. <laughs> wild what a life for you it's the video of the day that's amazing well uh, no comment on today's episode we'll be talking about the wall of champions the wall of champions which didn't see any use this weekend uh in formula one uh the learning topic is four-wheel steering it's not the same as four-wheel drive and i'm going to be hosting what i wish i was driving it's a generational car, and uh, you can actually buy this one. So uh, that's what we're looking forward to on today's episode. Uh, what a hint. <laughs> Are we sure? <laughs> I'm 100% positive you can buy this vehicle. Is that the hint? Really? Yep. Oh, you're such an asshole. You know it. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I'm say it. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, something also that you cannot buy. Let's talk about Canadian Grand Prix. Formula One, uh, let's get into it. I think it was a great race. Cool qualifying. Uh, I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed it. What are your guys' thoughts before I get into mine? I want to hear what you guys thought about it. Uh, really gutted for Checo. That sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What happened? So, so full disclosure, like I was sorting through all this crap in my garage and stuff. And I, and I missed the race. I looked at, you know, the standings and the highlight reel, but I didn't actually watch the whole race. Uh, I saw a Checo DNF. Uh, give me, give a me, gearbox issue. Give me a gearbox issue. It was a gearbox issue. And so it was funny because I was actually watching the race after the fact, because I had father's day stuff with my daughter and I had to work. And then I, I basically watched it. I avoided all social media during the day. So I didn't get it ruined. And I watched the whole race from Max Verstappen's camera. So <laughs> there was a yellow flag and the virtual safety car, and he slowed down. And they never told him who retired. They just said, stand by and then box, box. And it was Checo's gearbox uh, that had failed, which sucks. And um, so it was interesting to watch a whole race from a, a driver's perspective. I went back and then watched some of it as well from with the commentary. But being able to like see how little information they have, or they didn't tell him Checo's gearbox failed because maybe that'd make him paranoid of his own gearbox failing, or that he said stand by, and then they chose to box him right at that moment with Verstappen. So it was quite interesting uh, to see that. From you, basically had no idea what was going on. <laughs> it was kind of cool. I watched it live, uh, and it was definitely very devastating to see. First, Checo DNF for the gearbox issue, and then also Leclerc, like, just straight-up struggle the whole race because he was just caught behind train after train yeah. of, of DRS cars. Uh, and it's not like it, no one was overtaking. Everybody was overtaking something. Like, there was a bunch of action there was uh, throughout the race, and I loved it. Um, 
pitch strategy was definitely key in where you finished out in the race. Uh, poor, it, it was kind of a redemption, but like, uh, kind of still like poor Sykes, Carlos Sykes, uh, because I mean, he finished second, uh, in on the podium, but he just couldn't overtake Verstappen because Verstappen was just on, on a faster car down the straight and he, Max knew how to make up the time and after sector two, I think from Carlos and so. Yeah, negated all the DRS action that was going on there. So, John, basically, you had a couple of safety cars that mainly played in here, and Science had pitted on the uh, second safety car of who filled the second. What was the second virtual safety car? I cannot remember now. I'm having a no. It was Sonoda. Who? No, Sonoda was the last safety car. That he he came out of he can't he came out of pit lane, uh, then like just went straight into the wall. That was the final it, it, safety car, but the, and that that was timed basically perfectly for science. I feel like there was another virtual safety car that happened as well, but I can't remember which one it is. Uh, it was for Mick, probably Mick. I think yeah. So it was so basically Mick's safety car enabled science perfectly to time his uh, initial pit because he had stuck on the same initial type type of tires, which was still less time. Right, and then Sonoda decided to just... It wasn't the wall of champions that got anybody. It was the wall coming out of the pit lane, and Sonoda ate it into that, and that set up a safety car I think he was on the hard tire, and so, like, right out of pit, he, he just, you know... I don't know uh, what happened. Use his brake. I guess. I, that was bizarre to watch. And, um, yeah, even with any sort of energy recovery or anything <clears throat> like that, the Ferrari of science was just... Not able to catch. It's funny, though. I, I read later that Verstappen prefers. He was like, I was okay being on defense, but I prefer to be the one attacking, which is quite interesting. Like, you're in P1, but you'd rather be the guy in P2 trying to get P1? Like, Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that sentiment. And uh, But it did. John, I think, just off the cuff, I think you would agree. If I could just 100%. dive into that. Really? Uh, because if you're, yeah, if you're, in, if you're in second place, you're chasing somebody. And so, like, um, just that... And if you're like aggressive as Max is, you're putting you love the hunt, the thrill of hunt, and then yeah. also putting pressure on the driver, making him make a mistake, but then taking advantage of that. It's all a competitiveness thing, I think. I understand um, that. Also, but... oh, if you're man. in the chase, you you drive faster, for sure. I think so. So I, I, I personally, I would rather be, and this comes also from my, my basketball playing style, I prefer to be on defense. And so, like, I'm already in P1. I'd rather just maintain that. And, yeah, my anxiety is high because this guy's trying to make me make mistakes. But, like, focusing hardcore, remaining in the calm, and just, like, preventing this guy from getting P1, I don't know. No way. Always, it is. It's always better to look in front of you than it is to look in your rear view mirror. It yeah. is so much more difficult to defend P1 from somebody that's like equal or maybe faster than you than it is right. to That's what I'm saying. It's to harder. chase someone down. That's why I'm saying it's harder. It is it is a more you have to not let the anxiety of them overtaking you. You cannot make any mistakes and like being in that zone and defending that, keeping your elbows out and being perfect that is like your margin of error is so much less. But you know that if you succeed, you've already got it. I love that. Well, I mean, Max definitely showed that he doesn't mind being 
in that defensive P1 spot yeah. uh, and doing what needs to be done, mark of a champion. He just prefers to be in second place, yeah. you know, chasing it down. So speaking of champions, uh, besides Max, and he has been really consistent and good this year and just showing how much he understands that Red Bull. Finally, we see Lewis Hamilton uh, on the podium this year. It took a couple races. Yeah. It took quite a few races. And he also got there instead of George Russell, who's still Mr. Consistent, no DNFs, uh, everything above he was P5. In fourth? Yes, he was in fourth. And uh, so that's quite great for Mercedes. But it was interesting, the story of the weekend for them being like, our cars are hot shit garbage. And then all of a sudden they're drivable and functionable come race day. So I don't know. Totally different change, comparative. Uh, Mercedes Mercedes probably has the best back-end team of, of any team in F1. The, so your back end, you mean like your your pit crew and your mechanics and pit crew, your engineers yeah. and so, so like you knew that them being hot garbage the first race of the season was not gonna be how they finished. You know what I mean? And and if if any team can take a car that's not competitive and make it competitive through a season, it's gonna be Mercedes. And I think yeah, I agree with that. like. Yeah, and they're still they're you know they're still struggling, but I I just think you're starting to see the chickens are coming to roost of like the might of the machine that is behind the drivers at Mercedes. Yeah, the team as Lewis likes to call them. Uh, and yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think that George has shown that the car is very much fighting for a third in constructors, but I think if consistency maintains, that they will fight and vibe for possible P2 because Ferrari's now having issues and Red Bull's kind of fixed theirs. Uh, yeah. So it's, I think Red Bull's starting to chase away any sort of competition for now. It's a long season, so we'll kind of see. But And Max is definitely showing that he deserves to be the champion. So any haters that want to say, oh, you know, you were handed that, I don't know. Well, I don't. I don't know if I could just say that uh, Checo's gearbox failure is a little bit concerning. It, sure, yes. You know the the Red Bull car is very fast, and and we all know that. But I think we're starting to see some wear and tear of excess, you know, because of that. And so, like, maybe there's, you know, there's always that triangle, right, of cheap, fast, yep. or you know, good and reliable. Yep. I here's so. the thing though I, I I would say that the gearbox issue is something to look into, and they anticipate for that we've got two weeks off now until we go to Silverstone. I don't think we're gonna have a repeat of next of last year with Lewis trying to kill Max in the corpse. Hopefully, um, so that'd be uh, nice. Speaking of, yeah, we we had a little bit of a PTSD moment there with Max coming out of the pit. <laughs> oh yeah that's true yeah that what was, happened that was for a month you're talking to uh, uh with uh oh man Lewis Monza. yeah, yeah Verstappen Monza. was coming out of out of pit lane no no it, just here in the Canadian Grand Prix uh yeah Verstappen was coming PTSD out of pit lane and Lewis Hamilton was just at the pit exit and and Max came side by side out uh with him <laughs> and they like sort of took a turn together, mm. you know, two cars wide. And uh, and even, like, Crofty, I think, uh, was like, oh, they're side by side. 
Yeah. <laughs> very, like kind of, very PTSD. Uh, anxiously. Very PTSD. Yeah. So that was F1. It was a good race. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Sorry we ruined it for you if you haven't yet, but it's still a good watch yep. regardless. Uh, awesome. John, you should go watch the full thing. Just do it from a driver's yeah, perspective. Should. Pick pick uh, Alonzo or um, you know anybody. Just- Ooh, Alonzo, if we're, if we're going to just talk about one thing on the way out here, Alonzo's race was very disappointing considering that he started the race P2. in second on the, free t- on the front row. Uh, he his strategy just fell apart. I his don't know. strategy fell apart, and also he's in the Alpine, which is a mid pack car. So, well, I don't know. Uh, Alcon finished uh, Alcon. ahead of him in yeah. sixth. So, yeah, and but I mean, again, I think as you're, I would 100 percent agree with you. The strategy for Alonso is what fell apart for him. I think he still had a pretty good ride, ride, and uh, nobody ran into the wall of champions. Just the wall right out of the pit lane. Yeah, good job, Sonoda. Well, so so hey, I got a I got a quick yeah. little kind of news tidbit before okay. we get into the main topic. Do the newsy. Um, if you guys remember, we covered the Subaru 22B, one of the oh, most yeah. desirable and rare Subarus of all time. Well, the outfit that was responsible for building the WRC car back in the heyday, um, ProDrive is the name of the company. They are making a recreation of the 22B. That's the good news. The bad news is it's going to cost $800,000. Oh, fuck? Wow. <laughs> wow. So that's like, I mean, that's a that's a car. Excuse me? So I don't understand because, John, you have a car that is more expensive than the original 22B that's a replica, and your replica didn't cost that much. My replica didn't cost anywhere near that much. Right. So, um, what the hell is this bullshit? So, so why the John? hell? Yeah, hit me. <laughs> uh, first, before I get into twenty questions here, uh, is there a lot of info out on on what they mean by replica? Uh, yeah. Rebuild? Yeah, they've got a okay. pretty in depth build like spec sheet. It's um, it's so a it, hybrid. Is it, is it the actual? It is replica. not. No, it is not a okay. faithful bolt by bolt replica. Oh. It is a hybrid resto mod kind of. They're kind of taking the Colin McRae's car and the 22B and slamming them together. It's all carbon fiber bodywork. It's got a dual clutch paddle shift transmission. It's going to make, I think it's 400 kilowatts, which in Freedom Units is somewhere Damn. north of 500. Five six hundred horsepower. Um, yeah, so it's got like it's gonna be sick, but um, Ooh, I don't know if it's eight hundred grand sick. Yeah, not to not to. Uh, I don't want to pair it. Doesn't need things... to be carbon fiber. You know? Can I? Uh, I I'm, I don't mean to be on soapbox and then, like though. kind of deviate <laughs> uh, from. Well, I need soapbox. For, you dude. know what? I'm just gonna do it. Do it. I'm just gonna do it. Do Here. it. Uh, I'm just going to say it. I really think that these coach work companies that are putting out these special edition recreations, replicas, or, you know, special editions, whatever. I'm looking at you, Gunther Works. I'm looking at you, Singer. Uh, you know, uh, this company uh, in the UK rebuilding 22Bs. It doesn't need to be a carbon fiber, you know, body and you know you don't need to make it this huge price 
I think if these companies really want to have a successful business model, you need to dumb it down a little bit, just like a little bit. Uh, I think that the 22B had aluminum bodywork. Just do that. Why? And and it's it's cheaper. It's better. It's easier to recreate on a on a scalable level. I just don't understand why it needs to be carbon fiber this, carbon fiber that, forge this. Like that's all buzzwords. It's all cool. Like that could be an accent thing. I don't like. It could be a ha- like a half million dollar recreation, and I think that's a better price price point uh, than you know eight hundred thousand. Like who does who does that? Ludicrous. I am confident that the carbon is not why this is $800,000, but um, not to sound like the typical moron on the internet talking about their turbocharged Honda, but um, that wasn't a dig at at normal Honda enthusiasts. Uh, You could... (laughs) This is one of the few cases where you could literally build this car for much less money. <laughs> um, yeah. Just, every time, like, every time. I didn't yeah. say anything. I didn't say anything. No, but well, Ryan, it's it's a thing I in know. like car forums and in Facebook and stuff. Whenever somebody posts their like cool Ferrari or whatever, somebody's like, "You could build something faster for cheaper," and it's like, right. "Shut up!" No, you couldn't. You couldn't. <laughs> uh, it, in this particular case, no, I think you literally could. You could buy a sweet GC8 and import it and build a sick engine and buy. You could buy your own carbon fiber body panels and like eight, like eight hundred thousand dollars is absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, that's for what I said. Nope. for a Subaru. Yeah, who wants that? Somebody in Portland. Um, what was the price? What was the price of the last twenty two B to sell? Is is one question, or then two? Yeah. What was the last price of the WRC car that Colin McRae sold, uh, that he raced? Excuse me, that sold at auction, which uh, I think was not too long ago. Hold on. I've seen twenty-two Bs. All right, a quick Google gives me uh, three hundred and twelve five five five. So there was the last twenty-two B sold. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's one, so classic.com, which is a great website. I'm not affiliated with them at all, but it's a good website for like tracking the value of classic cars. Um, and most of the 22Bs are between like 150 and like 300 on the high end. I mean, one in twenty twenty was sold for uh, three hundred and seventy thousand. The top sale on Classic dot com is three twelve. Yeah. There might be one for three seventy somewhere. Um, That's on the drive. That was off. Com. I'll trust that for sure. That was off. Bring a trailer was the three twelve sale. Yeah, which bring a trailer is where I got bring a trailer is where I got my Grand Sport. But it just doesn't make um, any sense. John, Why would you have so much? You said space? Pro Drive is Pro Drive is is rebuilding this. Yes. Now I will say this: there is a 22B on JDM Expo right now for 115. There it is. Get that at the replica. So I'm reading. I'm reading a different article that says that it's uh, the ProDrive P25, which is this uh, 22B slash WRC car that we're talking about, is five hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars. So like it's that a was more than half a mil. 
that was their estimated cost before, like, in the last couple of days, they officially released the price. Oh. They est- their estimated cost was 400 British pounds, which comes out to 565 US. Um, and then they recently said, hey, updated picks, updated specs, 800 grand. Inflation, folks. Here's the thing. Like, they're just, they're taking advantage of the, there's like a bubble economy with, like, there's more people nowadays that are hyper rich. Yeah. Like, wealth disparity in the world, not to get too socioeconomic on you, but wealth disparity in the world in the last, like, 20 years. It's insane. Like, yeah, the average, Mm -hmm. the average standard of living has dropped right so like normal people have gotten poorer and the rich people have gotten dramatically Ridiculous, richer and there's more of them so. and there's a lot of people you know like your your sultan of your sultans <laughs> um that yeah. like whenever Trust a limited guys. yeah whenever Russian like a limited oligarchs. yeah yep those types whenever a limited edition anything comes out they just buy it they never drive it they just buy it they don't ask any questions they just buy it and so Every time a limited car like this comes out, it gets sold. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and I think they're just running off that. They're going to sell them all. They're going to sell all of them for this ridiculous price. Oh, I'm sure. Go ask the Sultan of Brunei uh, how many F40s or F1 long tails he has in his garage and how many miles he's driven them in the last 20 years. Yeah, he hasn't. Gross. But he ships them to the a... UK to get a full uh, a full revamp. <laughs> you know, yeah, but he does ship them to the UK for a. You service. know what though is Ferraris do have something called virtual short wheelbase, and that is another name. Oh yeah, for four wheel. Oh steering. yeah, and uh, interesting. Apparently, every single company that has some sort of four wheel steering has some sort of cheeky ass name. Although rear axle steering or rear wheel steering seems to be the main sort of vibe with it. And uh, I don't know anything about this. I have failed my compadres here and did little <laughs> research on it. Uh, I thought it was four-wheel drive when we were discussing it. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about four-wheel steering and the Sultans with their cars that probably have it because Rolls-Royce has it, Acura has it, Mercedes-Benz has it, Lamborghini has it, Cadillacs have it, Audis have it. Genesis has it. What is it? I don't know. Yeah, it's um, not like an old yeah. technology. It and, is a very uh, old something technology. That I, no- I noticed. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, yeah, sorry, I misspoke. I meant to say <laughs> it's not a very new technology, but uh, there are a lot of companies, i.e. Mercedes, who are kind of touting it as like something spectacular and new because they're uh putting it on their really high-end luxury four-door saloons and it helps with the parallel parking and the turning radius and safety and like all of that is true Uh, but it's not new and there's a lot of cars especially cool cars uh that i've had in the past uh that are awesome and we have to talk about it and why it's important because you know i think it's going to be a little bit more prevalent uh as we go into the future with the basically the stopping of r&d into the internal combustion engine i think we're going to see manufacturers go into other ways that they could improve that sort of sort of driven system 
and it's going to be in the drives. It's going to be in the way it turns, the way it maneuvers, and the stability, and that sort of efficiency. I think we're going to see a lot of leaps and bounds. The handling. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Cybertruck was announced to have this type of steering, right? And that's a very modern type of thing um, with EVs and Teslas. And you also have a lot of... uh, hybrids that have this type of steering as well but i it's i find it funny too that the evolution two evolutions past your guys's car of choice the gtr r34 also had this is that correct the r32 uh, also has our cars uh, okay yeah so, in a in a sense yes so the, the gtr r32s have it in a sense but it was like kind of what perfected with the r34 then mm. no it's the mm. same system it's just uh powered differently Okay. So, like the R thirty two is, uh, its rear wheel steering system is hydraulic, whereas the R thirty three and the R thirty four actually are electronic. Yes. Before but, we uh, but talk we're about, yeah, let's let's take it. Let's take a step back. Okay. So, four wheel steering. I mean, if you want to be a, a super nerd, you can say some dork on a tractor in the eighteen hundreds invented it. Sure, uh, but for what we care about, which is like performance automotive, the first time you really saw it was in the 80s. And um, it was, there were some American and European versions of it, uh, but the Japanese championed it a lot harder in the 80s. And they thought it was going to revolutionize car performance. And Nissan had it on pretty much every performance model they made in the 80s and early That's 90s. They kind of achieved that goal, I would um, say. Especially the GTR. GTR 32s I have. Okay, that makes sense. So, well, the GTRs had it. The, the Zs had it. Uh, the I think the Silvias had it. Uh, the S chassis. Also, um, Mitsubishi had it in the 3000 GT. Yep. The GTO. Um, yeah, also but, known as the, the GTO in other markets, yes. But then it went away. And it went away for about two decades. And you didn't see it on the planet. Because I think I think the real reason is that the uh, some of the mechanicals were kind of fucky. Uh, a lot of them were hydraulic, like you said. Nissan eventually went to Super Hikus in the R33 and R34, which is electronic, which is what modern systems use. Um, let's just talk about for a second what it is. Okay. So four-wheel steering is a system that makes the rear tires turn and you put a steering input in and you have to change how how it's done depending on the speed that you're operating at because at low speeds you want the rear tires to turn opposite the way the front tires turn so if i turn the tires to the right i want the rear tires to turn to the left what that does is it causes the car to spin in a circle, basically in place. Um, it's a similar phenomenon. If you throw your car in reverse and crank the wheel, you might notice that you turn a lot tighter mm. than if you crank the wheel and went forward because of the way the car pivots around its axis with the change in direction coming from the rear of the motion versus the front of the motion. Uh, the car pivots a lot tighter on its axis. So by... Getting both wheels in the action, you get a little bit of the benefits of reversing while you're going forward, if that makes sense, in terms of turn radius. Now, 
in a performance sense, like going fast, the amount that the front tires can turn is never the limiting factor. In any corner, there is a certain amount of steering angle, and it's nowhere near the max. And if I give it more, I will make the tires lose traction. Okay. Right? So you're not limited. Like, you're not trying to make the car turn more. So at speed, what you do with four-wheel steering is the rear tires actually turn in the same direction as the front tires are parallel. And so GM's current four-wheel steering is called crab walk. And that's basically what that is. You kind of float sideways. Um, they say that makes lane changes easier. I, if you have problems changing lanes in a car, I would recommend <laughs> you like stop driving. Um, or use your damn turn signal. But yeah. here's why... Here's why I think it's usable and viable now, and maybe it wasn't before, is that it, it and I'm sorry, it requires some like sciencey type thinking. If you think about it, if you turned the rear tires and the front tires and you're going fast the same, the car wouldn't actually turn. It would just float sideways. Right. So you yeah. couldn't actually, yeah, you couldn't actually make a corner that way. But what that does is by changing by changing like the the plane right because like the front and the rear tire are on like a if there's like a a, a plane a, a, you could like draw a line that connects them you know what i mean okay mm -hmm. by by turning both tires the theoretical plane that would connect the front and the rear is basically getting longer even though it's it's Physically the same distance, the way the car behaves is as if the front and rear tires were much further apart. Okay. okay. What, that, what that does is it effectively makes the wheelbase of the car longer, and long wheelbase cars are more stable. Yes. Yes. And so it makes the car more stable in high-speed corners. And because generally in a high-speed corner, you're not limited by how quickly the car can change direction adding stability is generally a good thing interesting so <clears throat> does this also correct for and this might be not entirely based on what you're but like my head is automatically going to like oversteer and understeer and if i have a mid-engine rear-wheel drive car that has this particular system now my rear tires are not straight they're turning as well and like, where does my power dynamic come from? And how, like, you have to almost change your whole driving mindset comparative to like a well, normal, right? Well, so that's the thing. And that's why I think we're getting a resurgence of four wheel steering now, because in like the eighties and nineties on those systems, and that's why most people lock out the Hikus on GTRs. I personally have done it. Um, Lenny, I think you did I too, also... right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not, not completely removed it, but I've just had the lockout bar. Cause then capped it off. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sensors and and inputs that that system gets, and I think old computers and stuff didn't always do the best job okay. of dialing in the right amount of rear wheel steer, and it made the car sometimes feel twitchy or odd. Yeah. Um, and I think nowadays the data that you can get from the car is much better, and the processing that you can do on the car is better. And so they're able to have more effective and more reliable solutions. Um, so I, 
if I could just interject here, uh, I've had my GTR for over 10 years now, just over 10 years. And so when I bought it, the Hikus and Altezza system both were sort of faulty. They were intermittent. Um, and so like in tight corners at low speed, uh, it would sort of lock up. The Hikus system would lock up and like the steering wheel lock up. And that's not really what you want in in that sort of situation um but then like it would also intermittently lock up the steering wheel um and in other uphill situations anyway i had gotten it fixed and i have to say with it working as it should it's very it makes the car much more agile uh, and the toge uh, especially apparent uh for me now I I've since deleted it, the system again, or at least at some point, uh, like I said before, I just kind of took out the the actual functioning high kiss bar and capped off the hydraulic line, only due to the fact that I had upgraded the suspension to where the external reservoirs for the coilovers now sit where the high kiss bar used to, um, and so it was more of a necessity thing if I wanted to run that, but. That was also just a choice I made. See, it was functioning when I took it out, so like it, it was. You're basically it talking. Me, it hasn't made me faster. It hasn't made me slower. So like anybody who says different is just talking out their ass. Okay, so like I'm understanding basically back in the day, and I actually found a Honda with the Prelude SI had this as well, and it was essentially. Oh uh, yeah, it was the first the first <laughs> car in North 1977. America. 1977. Uh, well, uh, Honda began developing the Prelude system in 1977, so that's yeah. They began like, developing it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and, it, it was the first production car in 1980, and it was actually it was actually mechanical. It had a prop shaft. And this it. thing, so you're talking mechanical oh. with Hikus as well, yes. And so you've got the well, no, it's hydraulic with the okay Hikus. So it's not a it's not a mechanical system, but it's not a full electronic system either. It's a hydraulic system then with the Hikus. Okay, yes, which is the H that in the acronym that makes sense. So now in modern times, we're getting away from the mechanical and we're going toward the electronic. Obviously, the computer systems now, 30-odd years later, have a higher data processing and are able to use these systems to make the cars more stable due to a longer wheelbase in turns. Am I tracking that correctly? It's it's not literally making the wheelbase longer, but physics is making the car physics behave. Physics is physics, yes. Fit. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And so, and is this being put in cars that are like four wheel drive as well? I mean, like, how does that? Yes. Okay. Typically, yes. yes. So it's. Not I mean, but just... that those are that's completely beside the point. Okay. Like it doesn't matter. So it's not just mid engine rear wheel drive cars that have this type of. Okay. Uh, um, I mean, Porsche. Porsche has it, it. Pretty much all of their current models have it. Lambos all have it. Um, Ferraris. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Zoom tight. Also, uh, uh, I, I think we have to also specify the fact that when we're talking, the rear wheel steering angle is not what the exact same as the front wheels. Uh, in the no. R32 GTR, I think the max 
steering angle in the rear wheels is uh two and a half degrees oh, so wow. like, we're not talking about anything radical so it's very minimal uh, in, in terms in, in, in terms of rear steering angle that's quite a lot yes but like in comparison relation to the to the front it's not the same yeah okay. most um, most cars have a max steering angle up front in the neighborhood of 30 degrees yep and in the rear you're talking one to three Okay, so it's a very minimal adjustment, but that minimal adjustment can lead to having more stability. So I, like in my head, I was envisioning like, oh, this is turning as much as my front tire is when I'm going into a, 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 a like a tight turn, but it really is only a marginal amount of actual degree of angle. So the power difference is, is not that dramatic of like, once you could understand how to drive through a corner with that small amount of angle difference in the rear, it make you faster, but you guys are also saying it's well, not, it, does, it doesn't make you faster. Well, so it does. It, it, yeah. So it, think about this, Ryan. So like, okay. like take a line, like draw an imaginary line through sure. a, a front tire and draw an imaginary line through a rear tire okay. and they intersect. Right. Yep. Now turn the front tires to the right and turn the rear tires to the left. Okay. And look at where those imaginary lines intersect. Yep. Okay. So like distance between the front and rear tires when they're like on the car and the distance where those lines will intersect is closer together. Yeah. Okay. I Cause, you. cause when, yeah. And then, and then if you do it the opposite, you turn them both in the same direction, but the front goes further out and the rear goes less. The point where the rear tire axis intersects the front is further out in front of the car. Yes. So and by, that's what I'm talking about by shortening or lengthening of the wheelbase. So Porsche actually publishes that in low speed corners, their system decreases the wheelbase up to 16 inches. And in high speed corners, it increases the effective wheelbase by 19 inches. Wild. And wow, that's quite a in, bit. Yeah. Wild. And in general chassis dynamics, a short wheelbase car, the reason why when you drive a Lancia Stratos in dirt, why that car feels like it's trying to kill you is <laughs> because the wheelbase is super, super, super short. Yeah. So it's really agile. It's really twitchy. That it's easy to wild. chuck it into corners. Yeah. It changes direction very fast, which so is a good nuts. and a bad thing. Yeah. And now if you get in a 1960s Lincoln Continental, that wheelbase is three football fields. Yeah. <laughs> that car changes direction very slowly. That's why you need help because turning, the wheelbase is very long between lanes. Obviously, even turning lanes is difficult in the Continental. So, yeah. so essentially, so the, they're making the car agile when they want it to be and stable when they want it to be. That makes sense. Then. So, as we get away from uh, basically petrol and we move towards EV data collection and those sort of things, I think this does make a lot of sense then to help give an overall drivability to those that don't understand not only in a high performance sense, but in a day to day use, I think this is a very useful system that will grow going forward. Is that something that I'm kind of picking up here, Lenny? Well, yeah, exactly. And so like, if you're going to look forward into like the EV sense and whatever future tech, uh, think individual steering, individual, like in the independent steering at all four, tires okay like helical helical gears in each at each axle and so like 
and all of that being controlled by an AI computer. That makes and sense. And so, like, maybe we we that's the next level, right? Instead of just rear wheel steering at yeah. two, at both both at the same angle at the same time, you know, all four uh, tires are acting independently independently to each other in real time, and applying Re- you know power as, as needed. What that opens the door to is not just all wheel steering. That opens the door up to uh, dynamic alignment. Ooh, fancy word. So, like, not only are my rear wheels steering with the front, depending on speed, now I can also possibly, like, as I press on the gas, my rear tires tow in to help dial in power and prevent wheel spin. And then as I speed up, the rear tires go back parallel to prevent tire wear. Or as I turn into a corner, I get front toe out to make the car change direction faster. And then that scrubs out to prevent tire wear and stuff like that. So, so you combine that with like all wheel drive or four wheel drive, and you're talking snow driving is way safer. Well, that's, I mean, that's yeah, that's already kind of a thing, but you're still going to be limited by the tires. Of course that's, you are. That's why tires, folks. Tires, it all comes out of the tires, folks. Uh, well, that's why, that's why in racing, snow and rain is like the great equalizer exactly. because. It doesn't matter how many electrical nannies and goofy things you have helping you out. At the end of the day, the rain's just making the tires suck. Yeah. And so that's why you see guys that sometimes are like in back or mid-pack teams that can't get on the podium. And on a rain race, they come up because they're actually really talented. Yeah, they're talented drivers. Pretty cool. I like it. I'm actually actually renting two of my e-bikes to a guy who's going to NASCAR in Nashville over this next weekend who's a tire guy and works for Pirelli which is pretty neat. He's going to he's going to have him he's going to have my bikes in the paddock at Nashville for NASCAR. It's <laughs> pretty neat. She's got a yeah. sponsor sticker on the car. We already we have a, we have the sponsor sticker on the bikes. So if, if if there's any camera angles and I see my bikes, I might watch NASCAR this weekend just to see if I can spot my bikes. Nice. <laughs> Should be pretty good. He's going with red and white because he wants to apparently represent Nebraska colors, which is pretty funny. I'm, I'm only an hour and a half away from Nashville, man. I should pop up there. There you go. No. Live, live from Nashville. Live from That's Nashville. right. Well, there we go. So I, I, I have a better understanding of this. It makes sense going forward why I want to use this, and especially with EV, how we get into all of the different angles. And, and going into this, I thought it was – it really helped you guys tell me that the angle that was only like two or three percent. It wasn't like fifteen. It's not as dr- dynamic as their front wheel turning angle is. It's a very small angle, but that little bit makes a big difference. Essentially, is what you're saying. Yeah, sure. I mean, when you're talking and, about and the low speed and high speed, and you're talking about you know most cars have a wheelbase. I'm just going to take a broad stroke between a hundred and a hundred and fifty inches, right? Um. And that the wheelbase like sets the overall chassis dynamics of the car. And so if you're using the Porsche example, if you have a wheelbase of say 150 inches and I'm changing it 16 to 19, that's more than 10% change in the wheelbase. So that's a more than 10% change in the base chassis dynamic of the car. That's wild. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Yippers. I love it. Well, but locked it out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> and Lenny did too. So apparently the older versions are not that great, but the newer versions are going to be pretty sick. That's what it sounds like. So should we get into what I was driving? Well, yeah, the, the, the thing, yeah. Uh, 
if I could just say one Go more ahead, thing Willie. about 32 Close and, and all that stuff. Ab- like, nail it out. Because it was the, the, the hydraulic system was just prone to defect and having a lot of air bubbles enter the system, it was terrible to get out. Yeah, I and bet. keep out. How do you believe that uh, system? Especially as, as all of that got older, unless you totally took everything out, refurbed everything, yeah. and then put everything back in, like it would never work as it did back in the nineties. But yeah, you know, um, I drove some as early as two thousand nine, and those were still working pretty well. You know, and, and I had a, a a nice time in them, and I could definitely say that it helped pulling you through the corners. Interesting. Um, well, and I would say the that for the GTR example, if I was going to build a time machine GTR and keep it like stock power, stock everything, I would 100% just refresh the Hikus and keep it in good working order. Um, for me, it was like, yeah, f that dude. I got turbos to put on this thing, and. <laughs> There is some legitimate concern among the GTR like track community that at like 600 horsepower going through a corner and applying power, the Hikus gets squirrely. Just, just squirrely. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Bullshit. I, I just, say bullshit. I just wouldn't want to have to bleed that system and like actually get the hydraulics working. <laughs> that just sounds awful. No, thank you. It, the Atessa is harder to bleed than the Hikus because the Hikus just gets it's off the power steering pump. Yeah. It's, it'll it'll pump it out. That's fair. Nissan learned its lesson with a 33, and so like the 33, 34 are electronic. There it is. Yeah, uh, which much units. That's a bookend. There's the bookend, folks. The hydraulics started it all. Now we're in electronics, and that's yep. how GTRs go. Well, should we do this, boys? Should we talk about what I show seven? Uh, uh, your redemption. You're, we're gonna let you. You can buy this car. car. You can buy this car, John. You're gonna give the rules. You're a thousand percent sure. I just want to make one hunt, just... million thousand percent sure you can buy yeah, this vehicle. There's no today. backing out of this. No backing out. This is you your last chance. You can buy this. All car. right. <laughs> so the rules. What I wish I was driving is our version, automotive version of twenty questions. So me and Lenny are gonna ask Ryan twenty yes or no questions about what car he's thinking about. Uh, we can only guess the car once, so if we make a guess and it's the wrong car, we lose. Um, and Ryan has specified this is a generational car. So with that, I'm going to ask, is this Japanese? No. It is not Japanese. Ooh. Yay. Is this turbo charged? Is this a turbocharge? No. Is this European? No. Is this a V8? Does this car have a V8? Yes. Is it American? Yes. It's an American V8. Would you say it is meta to this episode? Slightly, yes. Slightly? Is it... Okay, hold on. Is it meta? Yes. I will say yes, it's meta. Okay. I mean, is this... I think it's a very yes or no question. Yeah, I'll say was, yes. this... was this car produced by the General Motors conglomerate? Yes. Is this a Chevy? Is it a Chevy? No, it is not going to the levy. So it's made by GM, but it's not a Chevrolet. Correct. 
Is it a Cadillac? Is it a caddy? No. Interesting. I didn't think Ryan knew any other GM brands but Chevy and maybe caddy. Uh, is it a Pontiac? Is it a Pontiac? No. So that leaves Buick and Oldsmobile. Ryan doesn't know any Buick or Oldsmobiles. Um, is uh, this was a this... pickup truck? Is this a pickup truck? No. Was this an Australian brand? Was this an Aussie brand? No. Okay. And that's the number 11. I just want to keep track. That was 12. What? That's 12. That was 12. You're 12. on 13. That's 12. Okay. So it's got to be a Buick or an Oldsmobile because it wasn't an Aussie brand, but it is a GM. the hell Buick or Oldsmobile would Ryan know anything about? John, uh, sorry, did you say when this when was this car manufactured? No. <clears throat> there is no timestamps on this article. Ryan, was this car manufactured post 2000? Post 2000. Yes, it was still made post two thousand. Okay, that's very telling. Still made, which means it was made pre two thousand as well. Yeah, I gave you a little bit of a hint there. Wink, wink. I was helping you guys out. You're welcome. Uh, I'm just trying to think what. Oh man. And hell. Or a Buick. What? That's a meta to this episode, which would mean that it has four wheel steering. Or. Yeah. Mm. I said sort of for a reason. Not... Well, no, 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 no. he said he did. He did. He waffled. He waffled. I waffled for a reason. Can I clarify? Can I clarify? Yes. Can I clarify? Do you want a hint? Do you want more of a hint? Do you want more of a hint? Or do you keep shooting the dark? Yeah, please, please, please. The trick here is generationally. Right. The car he's thinking of was not the post 2000 version. But the car I'm was thinking of is meta, but not necessarily having the meta qualities. Does that I don't help? Know what that means? No, that doesn't it's help. Perfect. Uh, does that mean that's not an answer to the question? It means that. And yet again, you're this, you're over okay, here fumbling. Okay. 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 No, I'm not. No, this car may. This car has something related to the meta, but not this generation. Is this a Buick? No. What? Is this an Oldsmobile? No. Okay, we've named every brand under the GM umbrella. Except for GM themselves. But it's not a truck. It's not a pickup truck. Oh my fucking God. He said pickup truck, and there's a motherfucking difference here, folks. 
Don't bring your fucking pickup truck. It is not a pickup it's truck. It's an SUV. There it is. It is a sports utility vehicle or sports utility truck. It's technically. God. Okay. Why you said pickup truck? You said, you said on pick picking truck. cars that no one cares about. Ah, uh, this was actually massively cared about when it was relevant. The only GM SUV that anyone has ever cared about is the Cyclone, and that did not have a V8. Uh, Ryan, yeah, bud. Does is the model name of of this SUV named after a mountain range in America? Why do you have to ask fucking ridiculous questions like that? Jeez, Louise. Named after a mountain range? Mm. No. What? No. Fuck? What type of questions? What? How is it not? Are you talking like Avalanche? No. This dude literally just picked a soccer mom SUV. No, I didn't. No, oh, like I'm talking like Sierra. Oh, no, no. Or Denali. No. I already gave you the hint, too, and you guys weren't what? listening. Yeah, it's something. It was, it, so, no, he's talking about there's a fucking, there's a GM SUV in the 80s or 90s that had a rear wheel steering, and it was like, it could do like 23 I degrees. this car has... 22 degrees. This rear generation doesn't have it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. This, this, this generation doesn't have it, but modern variations but do. Also, nobody cares about that car. He picked a car nobody cares about. I'm not going to. No idea. Like, I'm not going to get it. I'm seriously. not going to get it because he picked a boring car. Okay. Unless okay. I Google it, right? Hold and on. that's breaking. We're on, we're on 18, so rules. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help no, you. No, I think I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to raise the flag here. Really? White flag. You got it. It's a sport utility truck. By GM. This generation, John. Do, this generation do does not have I got, the meta. I got nothing. But yeah, but current generation too. Uh, Ryan, Ryan, tell us what the car is. I, yeah, I got nothing. This was this was a car that was. Uh, what do created, I wish I was driving? This is a. I'm sorry. This is a large truck slash SUV, but also a sport utility truck and Alpha wagon body versions. Uh, it was created by AM General. And uh, it is the Hummer H1. <laughs> you know what? Fuck you know what? Uh, no, that's okay. You know what? That's all right. Yeah, Boom. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. No, you win. You yeah, can you buy won. that car. Yeah, you win. You can buy that car. You and win. modern generations of this vehicle have Meta, but this generation does not. Uh, yeah, the You're EV welcome. one sure does. You're welcome. Oh, shit. I got yeah. you guys. And you can buy this you fucking car. Us. You can buy this fucking yep. car, folks. Uh, yeah, and it was there. There was a Hummer <laughs> post two thousand. Yeah, fucking and, It was produced from nineteen ninety two to two thousand six. AM General is a GM <laughs> company. GM I fucking got brand, you guys. Yeah. No, you got <laughs> us. That was legit. That was legit. <laughs> that is the purest wow. redemption, folks. That is a redemption for what I was driving. No, that I can't. Yeah. No, Hummer. That checks out. That check. I thought you picked like a. <laughs> 2500 i said sport utility truck and i was like these motherfuckers are gonna get me i was trying to give you the shit man and like 
Now you got us. You, you got thought us. I had you on the Sierra, the, the Dolly. Well, for real. I, because I was like, wow. wait a second. Is the Humvee named after some sort of rent? No, it's the high motility, mobility, multi-purpose wheeled vehicle. Is the Humvee's original, uh, very military acronym. And uh, yeah, Hummer H1. Because that, yeah, that's what it is. I had wow. to use generational. Well done. I had to use a very vague hint. I was so mad that you did it. <laughs> wow. You did it. Wow. You beautiful bastard, you did it. Got you yeah. guys. I did it, folks. Uh, so yeah, that's been another episode of Zero Left Podcast. Uh, you guys can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We will be posting our Discord for you to join us and uh, call us out on things, give us hints, uh, any sort of thing you guys want to do. Money will be updating that stuff here soon. So please join us on our Discord and uh, give some flack. I'm glad that I finally beat oh. these guys legitimately. Oh yeah, what you got, Lenny? Yeah. Uh, I, I hate to steal any sort of thunder that you're currently riding, no, but I... I recently <laughs> uh, did laps on my local go-kart track with some Ooh. 100cc uh, carts. There you go. Uh, over at Pretty Prairie City uh, carts. It was very fast. That's fun. Yes, 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 yes. KT1 um, so good. Yeah. I was able to just kind of talk my way into it, and then luckily my lap times st stood for for what they were worth after you know Good. ten or so. So there's that. Also, there's that Ryan that okay. I was able to you know get into a groove within ten laps. And yeah. So I need to go get in the carts. I which, hear you. What you want? Yeah, you need to get into it. All right, I'm gonna get in the carts. We got time. I I ended up doing thirty laps the whole the the whole day, and so oh, nice. like that's a good amount of laps, man. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it was good warm up. It's legit. I'll get there. I've got the place to go to to get it. I'm gonna see what CCs they have, and I'll let you guys know. I'm just glad I beat you guys in what I was just driving. I made a redemption. Find us on Zero Lift Podcast. Yeah, I'll and, give it to you. You did Instagram and Twitter. Let us know uh, what you thought of the Canadian Group P. Me stumping these guys, and if we hopefully answered all questions you had about four wheel steering. We'll catch you next time. You've been joined by me, Ryan. Wonderful Lenny. Sarinara. The other soapboxing John. I've been beat. And, uh, yeah, keep a pin. We'll see you next time.